Hello, and welcome to the Thoughts on Money podcast, what we like to call Tom. I'm Trevor Cummings, the author of the Tom blog and your host for the podcast. I'm sitting here in beautiful Newport Beach, California, and today I'm ready to discuss our article titled, Only Hindsight is 2020. And yes, I am trying to make a pun with 2020 related to the fact that the year is 2020. Um, I am a big fan of the dad jokes. So let's get into it. Today's discussion, it is not made up. This really happened. I had two different friends call me talking about the markets with two very different conclusions. First conversation, I get a phone call. Trevor, the markets were so amazing in 2019. And my gut is telling me that this momentum, this energy that we have going forward, that 2020 is going to be even better than 2019. And because of that, I want to make some changes in my portfolio to add to my stock allocation. Okay, remember that. That's one conversation. Within that week, another conversation, another friend reaches out. Trevor, I don't know what to do. 2020 again, or 2019 was so amazing. And the market did so well. And only so many good things can happen in a row before a bad thing happens. So I need to change my allocation and my investments to have less stocks because I think that 2020 is going to be horrific. Both of these conclusions came from the gut and the response. One was maybe some exaggerated optimism, and the other was um, some pessimism about what the future has in store. I'm going to tell you right now, I usually don't put a lot of confidence in gut feelings because our emotions can be deceptive. Um, Our memories can be selective. And what I mean by that, we have gut feelings all the time, and we tend to only remember the times that we're right, um, even though it's not very often. So today's discussion, uh, let's lean into these two claims of what 2020 might look like. So to my first friend that thinks that 2020 is going to be extravagantly better than 2019, I'm going to tell you, I don't think so. And I want to start the discussion with this idea of the difference between something being impossible and something being improbable. In today's article, I use an example from football because I like football. I'm a football fan. And uh, the Tennessee Titans, they surprised us this year, right? They took down the New England Patriots, who are kind of the um, poster child over the last decade of what great football looks like. Uh, The next week, they went against the red-hot Baltimore Ravens in the second week of playoffs, and they also beat them. Now, if we go backwards in time, uh, these football teams play 16 games in the regular season. Through week six, those Tennessee Titans, they only had two wins. At that point, it did not seem very probable that they would be in the conference championship. But guess what? It wasn't impossible because they were there. So we really have to understand this idea between something being improbable versus impossible. And the reason I say that is because when somebody makes a a gut feeling claim, it's natural to want to react and say, that's impossible. But what we've seen over the last decade, um, and maybe even extended further than that, whether it's sports or politics or economics, um, even things without historical precedents, they happen. So it's very rare for something to be quote unquote impossible. Now, I want to give you a little bit of the other side of the story. As I said, we have a lot of gut feelings. We make a lot of claims. We think this team's going to win. We think the market's going to do this. We think the next president will be this person. 
usually we're making those claims without a lot of data or a lot of research or a lot of evidence. We kind of anchor towards different heuristics and, and we make those claims. You know, the worst thing that can happen is when we're right with one of those claims. And kind of the analogy that I use is I'm sure that there's a diehard Titans fan out there that against all odds was betting for them to win in the playoffs and make the playoffs and so on and so forth. And was that wager birthed in research and evidence and some sort of uh, big argument on why they could make it to the conference championships? No, not at all. It was a reflection of their fanhood. And we really have to be able to bifurcate those two things because when we are right for the wrong reasons, yikes. Usually that leads to taking on more risk and making bigger wagers because we build this false confidence. So I just want you to remember that before we get into kind of our conversation today. And like I said, let's start with the one friend that believes that 2020 is going to be absolutely amazing. My response to him is, hey, that's very improbable. Um, And I provided three different charts in the uh, online blog, so I encourage you to go there. And what you'll see is I'm showing him from different uh, vantage points why that would be very difficult for that to happen in 2020. The most simplistic argument that I don't think bears a lot of weight, but I provided the last 50 years of market returns, and I showed how rare it is for the market to have a plus 30% return. The reason I'm anchoring towards plus 30% is that we were you know, approximately up 29% on the S&P 500 for 2019. So if you're going to tell me that 2020 is going to be better, then you're inferring that you're going to get you know, something like a 30% return. So in the last 50 years, that's happened three times. So we're going to call that 6% of the time. I mean, by definition, that's improbable. Now, if I was on the other side of the table, I'd argue against myself and I'd say, that's a little bit of like numerology, right? You're, you're kind of just randomly grabbing numbers without any context or valuation or any things that we care a lot about um, when it comes to the fundamentals of investing. So I also provided a chart that gave context to valuation. In markets, the way that we value something is that earnings matter, right? Corporate earnings are going to be the strongest correlation over the long run on what market returns are. So if you're trying to get an idea on a valuation of the market, you want to look sometimes at kind of how many dollars, what price am I paying for every dollar of corporate earnings that uh, on average are produced by the market? And the chart I provided, it'll show you that right now our forward look is that we're paying $18 for every dollar of earnings. What they will usually say is that the PE multiple is 18 times. And you look at that contextually across uh, history, and you're going to see that that's above average. Um, Does that matter? Yes, it does. And I want to slow down to to say this financial truth because I think it's an important one to understand is that our starting valuation – is highly correlated to what our future expected returns are. I'm going to say that again. Our starting valuation, what we pay for something, has a huge correlation to what our future expected returns are. And you'll see on the other chart that I provided, as you begin to pay more dollars for every dollar of earnings, as that multiple grows, your future 10-year expected return shrinks. And that makes sense, or, or it should, because if you essentially quote-unquote, overpay for something, then you're not leaving it much room to run. If you, quote-unquote, underpay for something, there's a chance that as sentiment improves and things like earnings that have a strong relationship with stock prices improve, that you're going to benefit from both of those things. 
So to my friend that believes that 2020, um, man, his gut tells him that it's going to be better than, than 2019 ever was. Again, I say, hey, that is very improbable. Now let me add one thing. As I said, the Titans did make the conference championship. So could this happen? Is it impossible? No, it's not impossible. If it does happen, I think there is an embedded risk there. What are bubbles? Bubbles are when valuations get ahead of fundamentals. So if we continue to pay more in a multiple, but we don't see strong improvements in earnings, then yes, uh, that overvaluation at some point does pop. And I think the dot-com crisis or uh, the tech bubble, whatever you want to call it, is a perfect example of that. So I guess it's kind of a careful what you wish for. What we should be looking for is, hey, I hope that corporate earnings uh, not only improve, but improve beyond what the consensus expectation is. I don't hope that our stock price just continues growing and divorces itself from what we know fundamentally matters, which is corporate earnings. Let's move on to my other friend. He is scared. Man, is he scared. Because he feels like markets are this game of duck, duck, goose. That there's only so many ducks before somebody chooses goose. There's only so many good years that can happen before the catastrophe is lurking at the door. Is that logical? I suppose so. Is it bad? Maybe not. It becomes bad when you let it um, craft what you're going to do with your investment plan. If he is going to make a wholesale change on what he does across his allocations, I'm going to say, stop sign. I wouldn't do that. My advice to you is have a plan. What do I mean by that? Well, if you have future financial goals and you have a good understanding of what your current resources are, you should be building a financial plan and that financial plan should define what type of exposure you should have to stocks, bonds, alternatives, and cash. The reason that plan is so important is that plan should override your gut feelings. This is not what a plan is. A plan should not be a market timing strategy where I try to dodge in and out from stocks to cash, um, avoiding what the unknowns could be. That is not a good plan. A good plan understands that there has to be some level of defense so that it can endure good markets and bad markets. And you have to have some level of appropriate investor expectations to know that it's not always going to be sunny and shiny, but my asset allocation or the amount I have in stocks, bonds, cash, and alternatives matches my financial plan, and it is going to endure regardless, so I have to use that plan to help ground myself against some of those gut feelings and emotions. Now that we've said that, I did want to provide one other chart. If you haven't gotten a chance to read David's annual letter where he looks at the year ahead and the year behind, it's great. And I provided a link on here in the blog that you should click and read. It is a really, really good piece, and I know you'll enjoy it. One of the charts he provides, which is interesting, is let's look every time the market has been up 20% plus, what did it do the next year and what did it average? If you ask me that question without providing this chart, I definitely don't think I'm going to give this answer. The average ended up being about a 13% return. So my friend that has these concerns and fears, he's also creating a risk 
that if he decides to make a wholesale change on his asset allocation, that that exposure and missing out on what the market may do can be hurtful. I have another friend that I had a conversation with recently that did this exact thing in December 2018. Made a huge change to what his portfolio was because of all the calamity happening at the end of 2018. This whole discussion has been about how great 2019 is, so you can do the math on what he missed out on by making that change in December of 2018. So there is a sense of opportunity cost there as well. And I'm going to end with this. I personally am not anchoring too hard to that chart to say that based on this average, I believe that 2020 is going to be a 13% return. I'm telling you, I don't know. Telling you history has showed positive markets after big gains. But the way averages work, it's usually not that you're going to hit the target on the exact average. There's going to be some exaggeration even further to the upside, some exaggeration to the downside. But what I know is that I've built a financial plan for my family that is built to endure good markets, sideways markets, bad markets. And I've built an investor expectation, my expectations to say that I'm not even walking into 2020 thinking that it'll look anything like 2019, nor do I have any idea of what the actual outcome will be. Moral of the story, our emotions are very strong. We are uh, weaved with our emotions and it is a good thing. That's how we have relationships and love and community and all these things. But we need to be aware of that and we need to understand that we have to have some sort of depth of understanding with research, historical evidence, and context before we decide to use what we call intuition or gut to make huge changes to what our financial plan looks like. So the encouragement is sit down with your advisor, create a well-crafted plan that shows you what the future um, goals are and kind of how you achieve those goals and gives you a clear understanding of the downsides and the upsides and kind of all the expectations that go along with it. So we'll close out with that. I'm going to ask you that you rate the podcast, leave some comments. As you're always welcome to, send me an email at tcummings at thebonsaigroup.com and we will be back next week with another article and another podcast. Thank you for joining us. Bonson Group is registered with Hightower Securities, LLC, member FINRA and SIPC, and with Hightower Advisors, LLC, a registered investment advisor with the SEC. Securities are offered through Hightower Securities, LLC. Advisory services are offered through Hightower Advisors, LLC. This is not an offer to buy or sell securities. No investment process is free of risk, and there's no guarantee that the investment process or the investment opportunities referenced herein will be profitable. Past performance is not indicative of current or future performance, and it's not a guarantee. The investment opportunities referenced herein may not be suitable for all investors. All data and information referenced herein are from sources believed to be reliable. Any opinions, news, research, analyses, prices, or other information contained in this research is provided as general market commentary. It does not constitute investment advice. The team in Hightower shall not be in any way liable for claims and make no expressed or implied representations or warranties as the accuracy or completeness of the data and other information or for statements or errors contained in or omissions from the obtained data and information reference herein. The data and information are provided as of the date referenced. Such data and information are subject to change without notice. This document was created for informational purposes only. The opinions expressed are solely those of the team and do not represent those of Hightower Advisors, LLC, or any of its affiliates.